0: I'm Jimmy Johnson, and welcome to the Stay in the Course podcast. I'm an award-winning journalist, motivational speaker, spiritual leader, blogger, and now a podcaster. In this podcast, my hope is to introduce you to some of the most influential thought leaders around the globe, all here to inspire, uplift, and motivate you to fulfill your purpose and make a difference on this earth. You're called to stay the course. On today's episode of the Stained of Course podcast, I'm here in the Mile High City, Denver, Colorado. We're chatting with a speaker who has rebuilt her life and career sharing her story overcoming substance abuse. She received her bachelor's in psychology and master's in social work from the University of Michigan. Her story has been featured in several news publications, including the New York Times. She was also invited to share her recovery experience at the White House. And her achievements don't stop there. Last month, she was awarded a $5,000 grant from We Are Amped, a nonprofit committed to bringing marginalized voices front and center in podcasting. And this fall, she's launching Beauty in the Grit, a storytelling podcast. Let's welcome Ariel Britt, who simply goes by air to the Stain the Course podcast. Hi, how are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing great. And thanks for, you know, just having me here in Denver, Colorado. This is like my first time here. It's beautiful. I love the mountains, but I don't like the humidity right now.
1: There's a lot going on. It's it's a heat wave. We're in a heat wave.
0: I think it'll be better for me to come back during winter time when it's a little cooler, but not when it's snowing.
1: The fall, just come in the fall, anytime after September, between September and actually December is pretty nice. But thanks for coming and thanks for being here. And thanks for having me a part of this. This is great.
0: Thank you so much. Here's what's so amazing about how this podcast episode came about, like literally 72 hours ago, I did not know you. (laughs) Yeah. Which is crazy.
1: How did you hear about me, honestly?
0: So basically, I knew I was coming to Denver. And I knew I was coming on a guy's trip and I knew I wanted to interview someone for my podcast. And so I was just searching hashtags, Denver podcast, and I saw the incubator in which you were participating in. And then I saw people posting or sharing stories about the release of your podcast coming up this fall, Mm -hmm. which is super cool. And then I clicked on it and they shared a sneak peek and I heard it and I'm a fan of storytelling because I'm a journalist myself. So I went, I clicked on it, I listened and I was like, wow, she's got it. She's good. She has a story and I want to hear about it. So I I literally slid in your DMs professionally. Professionally. You know, and I reached out to you and I said, hey, I'm coming to Denver in like two days or something like that. Would you want to do a podcast episode with me? And you said yes. Absolutely. That was beautiful timing. Right. It's (laughs) crazy. It's crazy how like literally the world is so big, but yet with social media, it makes it so small. And While, you know, some of us, we look at social media and all the bad things that come with social media, but I look at the opportunities that we have to network and to to really get to expand our reach. And so that's how Ariel is on the Staying the Course podcast, and I'm happy to have her. But, you know, before we get into learning a little bit more about you, let's just, I want to share a sneak peek of the episode that I heard, and I want my listeners to hear it as well, because I think they're going to thoroughly enjoy it. On the backside of that, we're going to just jump into our conversation and and we'll go from there. Sounds good. I know
2: one time, it was in the summer, mom came to pick me up because by that time my dad was deceased and we had so much stuff in the car, she decided to go the back way and instead of going on the expressways, because we had everything blocking the Rearview mirror and stuff like that. And then she was driving and I was like in the back seat. And she said to me, well, she was actually talking to herself kind of. And she said, you know, there was a time when your dad couldn't even stay in this town. And I don't remember what town it was as a, as a black attorney, he would have to stay somewhere else, but he would still represent certain people in this particular town. And I said, wow, I can't believe that. I would never take that. She veered that car over to the curb, leaned over in the back, said, you will never be at University of Michigan if it hadn't been for what your dad stood for. And I said, well, I better not say another thing.
1: So that was my mom, Dr. Marilyn Skinner-Britt, daughter of Lucille and Floyd H. Skinner. Understanding that same power and privilege and having an education was something that was passed down to me and my three older sisters growing up. So it was never a matter of if we went to college, but where. I dreamed of going to Michigan, too. My grandfather had received his undergraduate and law school degree from there. After, he went on to become the first Black attorney in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Here is a clip of my mom reading a letter he wrote during law school.
2: Dear sirs, I am debating the question, resolved that the Ku Klux Klan be abolished by the federal stature. If you will please forward... Me, whatever information you have on the subject, it will be highly appreciated. We'll be glad to pay any expenses incurred by your sending same. thanking you in advance. I remain yours very truly, Floyd H. Skinner.
1: My grandfather wrote that on April sixth, nineteen twenty three and W E. B. Du Bois responded back on April thirteenth He was such a dynamic man. He was respected by so many people, not just as an attorney but in his continued fight for civil rights. Now, as for the other side of my family
0: on Wayman Britt, and that's all
2: for him he's out Five on Wayman Britt, a senior his last game, finishing a brilliant career at the
1: university. Yes, that's my father, Wayman Britt, University of Michigan Basketball Hall of Famer, son of Mamie Lee, and Oscar Kinney Britt. He was raised in North Carolina. His father was a sharecropper one of the best they eventually moved north to flint michigan and his basketball career took off from there now what about me
2: you were a smart girl and I have always been very very smart and um i knew you were michigan material and at the time you really didn't think you wanted to go to michigan because you know you had some little adversities and i said No, you go in there and you write a letter saying that you love University of Michigan. You would like to go to University of Michigan. You had written other, you know, acceptance letters to other colleges and universities. But I wanted you to at least try Michigan.
1: So the truth underneath my mom's words is that I started using alcohol and drugs when I was 16 years old. High school was such a tough time for me. Even though I was an athlete and self proclaimed class clown, underneath all of that attention and all of that, I was just lonely, afraid, and felt super disconnected. And once I started filling those holes with substances, nothing else mattered, especially my dreams. I remember that moment too when my mom and I were going through my college applications. We were in the kitchen and she said, Where's your Michigan application? And I told her I wasn't applying, and she said, yes, you are. I remember going back and forth with her because she didn't understand why I wasn't going to apply. It wasn't like I wasn't smart, had bad grades, or wasn't Michigan material. I just honestly didn't want to work that hard in college. I knew Michigan was going to be tough. I wanted to party, have fun, be free. And I remember sitting down realizing that I wasn't going to win this fight either. So I screamed, you just want me to fail. And my mom just looked at me and said, oh, well, and walked away. She had no idea that my addiction to substances was roaring and ready to take off. And at that point, I had no desire to stop it.
0: Beauty and the Grit, this is going to be your new podcast that's going to be releasing in October. What's the date? October 8, 2019. And isn't that like a Tuesday? It's a Tuesday. So Tuesdays with Brit, Yes. <laughs> which is going to be awesome. Um, I mean, you guys heard it. You heard her voice. You heard her storytelling. I mean, she literally took us there. Kind of describe a little bit the first, your thought process behind that very first episode and how you wanted to enter into the podcasting space in the world of storytelling.
1: Well, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing, storytelling. Um, I've been blessed and also... I guess I wouldn't say curse, but I've gone through a lot in my life and I've known a lot of people through my journey who've gone through a lot. And so by them telling their story, it's just been so impactful on me. And even in school or any moment, that's just kind of where my character comes out, whether it's a funny story or real story, it seems to just be really impactful. And so I remember I was telling my story in Georgia, when I was living there before I moved to Denver and a woman just came up to me, was like, do you have a blog? Do you have something? Like, I want you to create something. And it's always hard or fearful to come out and like create something of your own. But podcasting just came into my mind, um, a safer space, a cool space, a new space of where I could kind of showcase that and offer just support to folks. And so that's really how I got the idea. was like, somewhere, I don't even remember where I was, and Beauty and the Grit just popped into my head because I knew I wanted this to be really focused on um, the grit of life, but also the hope and the beauty of it, the beautiful beautiful experiences that we get to share with one another. So that's just really how it happened. And I don't really know how the whole vision kind of came together. Uh, My grandfather went to the University of Michigan. My father played basketball there. That's where my parents met. And so there was just something beautiful about being able to offer some historical context around that and then weaving in my own experience. It just, the story was there and I just, you know, the vision just came into my mind. Thank God I was able to create something that seems to be Helping a lot of people and impacting a lot of people, which is like beyond my comprehension.
0: And talk cool. about the incubator that you won this $5,000 grant because that's what's really going to help you mm-hmm. uh, take this podcast to the next level. Like when I started a podcast, I wish <laughs> I had five grand just handed to me and say, hey, go out there and make it great, right? Seriously. So, about a year ago,
1: a little over a year ago, I really wanted to just start creating. And I was like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then I went to a women of color panel that they hosted here at House of Pod, which is where we're recording now, and who is the 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 partner in the nonprofit We Are Amped that put this on. And so I was on the mailing list. And so they sent out an email talking about this opportunity where they're really wanting to bring... Um, women of color from the margins into the center of podcasting. And so through that process of a month, um, we had to apply through through the process of a month. It's been an intensive experience. Where we learned about audio and interviewing and all these things that, you know, RSS feeds, like what is that, right? Um, And how to integrate that and create a show and your target audience. And so it was just an intensive. We would meet three to four times a week and really dive deep on these subjects and and learn a lot. And then at the end of that, we had to submit our, um, whether it was a trailer or an episode. And then from there, the winner would receive $5,000 towards their podcast. And that's me. I won that.
0: Wow. Congratulations. I and I know that was a probably, I'm not going to say a surprise, but like you had to be, it had to be an humbling experience to know that this was something that you were passionate about a year ago. But I believe in waiting on God's timing. And, and sometimes, you know, we rush into things and, you know, sometimes we also straddle the fence on whether we should do it or not. But when you get that, that confirmation and then that right door opens up, it's amazing what could happen
1: absolutely let 's talk about that confirmation because I am one of those people that you know if i 'm going to do something, I want to do it really well, but i 'm also a learner, so that would there was just some resistance there in me googling and trying to figure it out, so this opportunity coming into my inbox was such a confirmation that I needed to at least apply and to see what was really behind this and so the fact that you know even during the time when I was recording, I was super sick. I was seriously coughing nonstop during this process. I don't know what I caught. Um, There's plenty of tape of me just saying something and then coughing, saying something and coughing. So being able to create something and master it and mix it myself, um, the help of one of my friends who kind of was my my other ear on this. um, And then win was just beyond me, you know, beyond what I thought I was capable of and just a confirmation that, yeah, your voice it's, it inspires people. It helps people. So let's do this.
0: And it's not just your voice. I think it's the story mm. um, that that comes along with that voice, and because of the pain and your past, and and you know dealing with substance abuse, which is an issue for a lot of people, and often uh, something that doesn't often come to the light until it's too late. And for you to to have overcome that and now share this story. With people that you don't know and people that you don't even know that you're gonna impact is is just phenomenal. Um, how do you feel about, you know, sharing this story and, and what do you think it means to you now that you've you've been what, ten years clean now?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm coming up on eight, which is awesome.
0: Eight years, my, my yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I'm so, prophesying ten no, years. No, I
1: know I'm I'm here for it. i you know, I think what I've learned along this journey of being in recovery and being a person who's experienced whatever I experienced is that the truth is so powerful. And I know for me that I have to live in that. And so to watch, you know, there's certain spaces where I, you know, go in a circle and I talk about my recovery and, and it's a safe space, Right. But me now being a person that works in recovery and, and changing the dynamic and the stigma around that, like like you said, it affects so many people. It doesn't care how much money you make, what you look like, what your background is. It doesn't care. It affects everyone. And so to know that my experience can really help other people just kind of pushes me. And so it feels like I'm in my highest purpose when I am speaking my truth. Um, and it also keeps me really close to that and close to the understanding of what can happen if I were to pick up a substance again. I have no desire to, I don't want to, but it really allows you to remember, you know, what was going on at, in that time in your life, like why we're using substances and why we're using substances even when you didn't want to. And a lot of people can relate to that, whether it's why am I dating this person when I don't even want to? Why am I working at this job when I know this is not where I'm supposed to be. And so I think it's something that even though I can just share my experience, folks can take what they can pull out of that to help them live their best life.
0: What was it that you were struggling with?
1: Yeah. So during that time, um, growing up, my mom was a single parent. So my parents divorced when I was two and she did the best that she could do. But growing up in a fluent um, area, youngest of four girls, predominantly white environment. You just, I just felt terminally unique. And where was like that? I couldn't. So this was in Michigan. Um, I'm from Lansing, Michigan. So uh, my mom always stressed education, like this is going to be your ticket out. Um, but she was a single mother raising four girls. We're all two years apart. And so it was a very stressful time. And so I just didn't feel safe. I didn't feel um, seen or heard in the ways that really mattered to me. And so as soon as I, um, got out of high school and got into college, it was like, I had this freedom. And I think there could have been a plethora of things going on or nothing going on. It's just when I put substances in my body, my, mind my being reacts differently and I become addicted to it like I can't stop and so that was the real truth of it it could have been anything and and then the more that I kept doing it the more consequences just showed up for me and I wasn't treating my body right Um, I was you know not being honest not being a good citizen and so it just didn't matter, though, because I just was, in my mind, having fun and having a good time. And, you know, if you experienced this thing, then you would drink like I did. You know,
0: there was just. So was it alcohol abuse? Or...
1: Yeah, alcohol abuse and then cocaine, marijuana. I would say cocaine was my drug of choice. Um and so that's such a party drug, you know, it's not really something that you really think of or or even marijuana, like especially in Colorado, right? Like it's, you know, it's legal, no big deal, but it's just the way in which that I was using substances was problematic and I didn't know and I didn't really care until, it, like I said, in the tape, like my body just was shutting down and it was like, you're done. You can't keep doing this.
0: And so when were you first introduced to cocaine and these these drugs and then obviously alcohol obviously that's a part of like the the college scene yeah
1: so for me in high school was when I first was introduced to weed and alcohol but it wasn't I was so sheltered Um, it wasn't really an opportunity for me to like necessarily abuse these substances in the ways that I, at that time, was just kind of gearing up to get out of my mom's house, right? But I definitely was smoking weed, got caught by my mom, and, you know, it was fine. Not fine, but, like, it was an, It was like, okay, she may have – something's going on, but she'll figure it out. And then when I went to college, that's when I really attracted what I was looking for, which is folks that were, you know, focusing more on partying than they were going to school. And so that's when I – freshman years when I got involved with cocaine, and that was – Pretty much, you know, I'm not a good drinker. As soon as I put alcohol on my body, I, I can't even function. But with cocaine, it was like, I could keep going. I could keep doing it. I could be a part of the party at that point. And then it wasn't a party anymore.
0: So when was the point when you knew you hit rock bottom? Was it physically? Was it mentally?
1: It was physically, mentally, spiritually. So after I dropped out of college and was like, I'm done, I'm going to go take some time off and find myself, aka party, I moved to New York. And at that time, my sister was living in Jersey City, so she's pretty close to me, but I was pretty isolated and alone. And so I became front and center with myself and the ways in which I was using substances. And I didn't have that same community or camaraderie that you have in college. You'd be like, oh, it's fine. We're just in college having a good time. And so there was just this moment um, that I describe in that episode, um, where I just was so aware of how much my body was hurting, how much weight I had lost, how disconnected I was, and how miserable I was. Like if this was supposed to be a party, shouldn't it feel fun? Shouldn't I feel free? Shouldn't I feel a part of? And I didn't. And that for me was that spiritual bankrupt um feeling that many folks who struggle with anything hopefully will eventually feel because that was the point that I wanted to do something or I had the desire to change. And so that was November 5th, 2011. And I just was willing to do whatever it took to do something different with my life and the way that I was going. I could see that, you know, the common denominator of my life not being where I wanted to be was my substance use. And it was just, I mean, it was the moment of
0: grace. Wow the moment of grace. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, when you put this all into context and I look at you now and I'm seeing the, the, the shallow a person who's been through so much pain, but yet has, tr- you know, has, you know, really overcome all of this and still overcoming it because it's, you know, most people think when you, uh you know, when you become sober, it's, it's, it's done, but it's, it's a thing forever, right?
1: Absolutely. So that is, the beauty of it. Like I get to grow today and I keep growing in my spiritual practice and my relationships and my work and my purpose. And to think about who that person was and how scared and insecure and just unaware she was, it's like, wow, that's just an alone, you know? Um, I'm just not that person anymore. And so, like you said, it's going to be something that I work on and grow through for the rest of my life and I'm okay with that I mean sometimes it's like wouldn't it be nice just to be normal and be able to take a break off of my life and and just numb out like a lot of people are able to do but I know for me like to do that is to die like I have the way that my brain and my chemistry is in my body I'm just susceptible for that to not end well immediately it's just it really is about the chemistry of your being and all of that and i just you know i have too much to lose it's a good life
0: yeah it is a good life and you uh you're here for a purpose and i think you found that purpose now um looking back obviously you you had to make a decision to to step away from the drugs step away from the alcohol abuse how did you get help because i think a lot of people may want to stop but they don't know how mhm you you just walked you say you just walked away from it or was it a process that you have to go to rehab i mean
1: it was a process. So I didn't go to rehab. What I did was, is I had a friend of mine at the time who also had gotten sober. Um, it's like, it's really interesting. Either you're around people who are, you know, growing or they're not in that way. Like you attract what you are. I really believe that. So I had one friend that had done 12 step. Um, and so that is where I was introduced into a different way of living. And that's still something that I still practice and it really works for me. I know it doesn't work for everyone, but that was the first um, step in me really connecting to something bigger than myself that I could believe in and, and community. Right. So it's like um, I may think that I know what I'm seeing or what the best move is for me, but what I had never really done was trust people enough to let them in on all of me and let them really see me and make a decision to love me in a way like I just I didn't have that growing up that wasn't for me and not saying that it wasn't there I just didn't connect to it and that became kind of that you know life or death moment for me it's like okay either you're gonna let people see you and grow up and grow with them or you're you're not going to be able to to stay sober and so that's through the process of you know, building community and learning a lot about myself and letting a lot of old pains and hurts grow, go. It's been, it's been the change and that's a continual change. There's just layers to this thing called life. There's levels to it. So I just keep on doing that and keep, keep I stay connected to that. And then I also continue to expand my spiritual practice outside of 12 step too.
0: And 12 step, is that like some? AA. AA. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's my practice. And so do you think that The separation of your mom and dad, uh, uh, you being such a young child, uh, affected you long term? Do you think that had anything to do with it? Or you just think you just went wayward?
1: I think growing up, there's several moments or things that have happened in my life that have, you know, I I imagine it like a tally thing or a list of things or the reasons why I'm going to drink to that. Um, And like, oh, my parents got divorced or this happened or I was, you know... One of the few black kids in my white upbringing, um, and like that will isolate me and make me think that's why I use substances. But for me, I just feel like I was born this way. Like my DNA, my chemistry is, that's what it is. I've talked to my dad and he calls substance use and mental health issues in our family, our family curse. And so it's something that runs in my family. Uh, my mom, she's adopted, so I don't really know our history on her side, um, but on my dad's side, it's just something that you deal with. And I and I got the gene that's most susceptible. But those were reasons and things why it kept me feeling like, oh, I'll drink to that later. I'll use to that later. And it kept me really disconnected from the truth of what substance use is.
0: Wow. Um, just an amazing story of redemption. <laughs> um, I can't even imagine, um, you know, how you managed to get through all of that and still are getting through this. Um, But I I believe that a lot of people can take away something from this, whether they abuse substances or not. Um, How, you know, you can't really judge someone by their exteriors. You don't know what they're dealing with behind the scenes.
2: More of the Staying the Course podcast after this. Animate your words, an easy way for authors and speakers to show up and stand out on social media. If you're not getting their attention, someone else will. Go to philashley.com
0: to schedule a chat. Would you say that when you were in college and you were going through this, that um you kind of gave people the impression that you were you were, you know, struggling?
1: No. So I remember the moment I haven't told this story. So I had a, a strong group of girlfriends in college when I first joined, um, when I first started going there. And I remember when they found out that I was you know, using harder substances. And they did this intervention. They're like, we don't think you should hang out with this person. And what I would do and what I did in that moment was just make a decision to like not talk to them anymore because they didn't get it. Just so I could keep that, you know, box around myself that I was okay. Um, even if I, people were not, people knew I partied or had a good time. I didn't want you to see how really bad it was. And so I was just living a lot of separate lives. And so maybe, you know, the folks that I was using with, they probably knew like, cause we were all using together that there were some issues and some problems, but you know, I just tried to paint this kind of box. So when I was really struggling with substances, not that I was so aware of it, I didn't call my mom and say, hey, mom, like, I'm really struggling right now. I was like, no, I just want to drop out of school for a little while because I just need to find myself. This isn't really working for me. So I was already, you know, feeding these lies that everything was OK. Eventually, you're going to stop. Everything's going to be OK. So I didn't have that. You know, I had some moments, some consequences. But, you know, I'm just a young college kid. So it's just especially for young people. Um, who gets sober? you don't have enough history sometimes to kind of show people, wow, this is really problematic That's why it is so important to really check in and be connected and I'm thinking while you were discussing that about you know how social media this perception of how folks are gonna how folks appear and and where they're at and what that looks like for them, so it's really about. You know, it's powerful as social media brought us together. It is so important right. to continue to maintain real connections with your loved ones and look them in the eye. Be like, what's going on? And ask certain questions to kind of see what's what is really going on. But I was a very good hider because I know if I was really struggling, my mom, if she knew she'd been, you know, more adamant about, you know, not just letting me grow out of it. And you getting you some help. Yeah. And getting me some help for sure.
0: So moving on, like, you know, this podcast is called the Staying the Course Podcast, and clearly you've been through a lot of things and your journey is a lot different from a lot of other people, but also maybe similar to um, other people as well. You know, what would you say are some life lessons or takeaways that you take away from what you went through? For me...
1: Number one, the power of a relationship with God is so, is everything to me. I think because sometimes the phone gets really heavy and you can put on a brave face, but the one person I know that I can't, or the one thing I can't hide or hide myself from is God. And so if I don't have that relationship It's really hard for me to see the truth or be connected to it in the ways that I need. Also, community is very crucial. Just people who can hold you accountable and make you feel less alone and really get your experience, but also don't um, enable you to kind of settle. And your experience has been super, super key for me. And then just trusting the journey. I feel like I have so many expectations on what I want things to look like. Oh, I want to be married by this time. I want to have this life or this, 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 this. And that just hasn't happened, right? Like I struggled with substance use for 10 years. That was not part of my plan. Um, But what has come out of that is the capacity to help so many people, particularly young people, which is my goal. If I can, you know, share my story one time to help you not feel like. You need to go and experiment on your own. If I can impact you, like that's that's beautiful. If I can save you a day even um, for going and making a different choice, that's empowering to me. And so trusting that, you know, God really knows what He's up to in my journey and all the ways and always being able to come back to that has really um been so grateful. Cause I just have no idea. I have no idea what you know the rest of my purpose or my assignment looks like while i'm here um but the more i just try to surrender and be open to that the better and then to enjoy your life it's been a really cool journey to see all the life that i get to live without substances um the, the all of it the pain the joy, um, just in my mind, thinking of my beautiful nephews, watching them grow up and being a part of their life has been amazing. And so being a kid, having fun, uh, that is really important.
0: And speaking of being a kid, what advice would you give to your younger self? I know you kind of touched touched on that a little bit just now, but...
1: Yeah. So besides trusting that journey, because that little girl, she was so angry and so confused and did not have that connection. Um, and I think outside of that is, I would just, you know, pray for her to love herself a little more, you know, at that point, like, and also just speak her truth and say that she was struggling and say that she needed help. Um, I think I would trust the people around me to be willing to support me. Uh, I think that's something I really missed out. I, I just felt so, so alone that I couldn't say, help me. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like there's this expectation now that young people are supposed to figure this thing out. And are we really teaching them the things that they really need to know, which is a connection with something bigger than themselves how to speak their truth, um, how to really build a family and, you know, build an honest life. Like we teach them a lot of things, but we don't really teach them how to feel. Um, we don't really teach them how to do that. So I would tell her just to kind of hang on and trust that eventually it all makes sense. And it it's making a lot of sense. You know, my experience is helping
0: others. So that's that's it. That's like really it. And I also think it's important to let people know that it's okay to not be okay. Do we learn
1: that? I didn't learn that. I don't know. I don't. I did not really learn that. I'm learning that now. Um, there's such a stigma against feeling bad. That Mental health stigma, yeah. Yeah, or even just like a human, a social stigma. Like we're all supposed to feel good all the time. And if I'm not feeling good right now, then there's something wrong with me. And I need to make myself feel good. It's like maybe you're just building character. You know, maybe you just need to not feel good right now. And trust that it'll pass. But there's nothing wrong with you if you don't feel great all the time. And, You're human.
0: And I know you said that when you were in college, there was a group of friends, mm-hmm. and I think they were really your friends, who who tried to do an intervention with you. Mm-hmm. Looking back on that situation, if you had a chance to speak with them, and maybe you are friends with them now, what would you tell them?
1: So that's wonderful. So I talked to them now. I've been able to maintain a relationship with them. Our lives are completely different, but we're able to go to homecoming back at Michigan together. And they stayed at my apartment when I was three years sober. We just stayed on my floor and laughed and had a really good time. And I was able to share with them like, I am sorry, but thank you for what you tried to do for me. Those are really real friends, you know, and they can only Take you as much as you're willing to go, um but that was a moment for me for sure, a God shot looking back of when you know something bigger than myself was saying, "Whoa, don't go down that road," and I made a different decision, I made a different choice, um but it was a moment where I was like, "Oh, you know, God did not drop me or forget about me. He's been there the whole time, and now I'm just dialed in, just tapped in, so it's been. It's been great to still have them in my life and see all the great things they're still doing and say thank you.
0: That's good. That's Mm -hmm. good that you guys uh, have been able to rekindle that relationship. And now, looking back, um, you know, knowing that, you know, from your journey, you were able to one, share your story with major publications and then the opportunity to speak at the White House. Kind of just share with me what that was like.
1: So, that was pretty huge. So, the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Put on this event. Um, it's for Recovery Month. So, September is Recovery Month, where there's a proclamation. So, Obama was the first president to make that a proclamation that September is Recovery Month. And so, I just was picked. I don't really know how that happened, other than God, to come and be a part of a panel with three other young folks in recovery and just talk about our experience and the importance of recovery support service and recovery month and really honoring that. And so that was a huge moment. Um, And it was also another moment that, oh, you're on the right path. You're connected. There's purpose in your
0: experience. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. So many times we, we go through stuff and we don't look at the situations that we went through and say, what can I learn from this? I think it's important when we go through stuff, like this to ask ourselves, what can we take away? What can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. And and I believe you've done a good job of doing that. And now looking forward, your mission and your calling, your passion, your purpose, what do you believe that is now?
1: I know, particular with this podcast, is to increase access to hope for folks. So particularly with substance use, we are up against a system that isn't really designed to support folks from a holistic re- approach. It's not about rehabilitation, right? We're still up against that. So depending upon who you are, how much money you make determines the services that you receive. And so whether that's criminal justice services or is it treatment and access to that is just very limited And so what I want to do with my story and the other folks stories that are going to be a part of this podcast or in life in general, no matter what you're going through, there's just an access problem. But what I wanted to limit or, you know, expand was access to hope through my experience and inspire people to, you know, build the communities that they want to see built or, you know, fight for legislation in their communities and, you know, trust in whatever they want to create and believe that they can do that. I want people to feel less shame for what they experience. And for me, that really comes from sharing it with someone else. So sometimes you can hear somebody talking about a moment and like, you felt that too, but you're too ashamed to sit there with them and say, "Oh, I get that. Let me tell my story so we can we can connect in that way. And so I want to expand more spaces for dialogues on that, to inspire people to know that that's <laughs> majority of the experience that I feel like I've gone through were to to have those moments that I've had with young women, young men, anybody to say, "Oh, let me share you a little story so you feel less alone in this moment." And so I wanted really to really dispel shame. It's so corrosive, it's so, so corrosive.
0: That's good. That's good. Ariel, this part of the podcast is where we do the rapid fire round of questions, right? And so since I'm in Denver, never been here before, um, I'm just, you know, getting here on the ground from a flight, Mm -hmm. you know, haven't eaten yet, haven't, you know, explored yet. I'm going to ask you questions related to the city and hopefully you can help me make this trip well worth it. So number one is your favorite restaurant and dessert spot in town. Watercourse.
1: It's a vegan restaurant. Not that I'm fully vegan, but it's so good. You need to go there. <laughs> or I got it. I got it. The Post Brewing Company, they have the best fried chicken you would taste. You know, I'm from Louisiana, right? No, I want to tell you about this place. It is really good. I took my sister there when she visited last week and she enjoyed it immensely.
0: So that's a cool place to get some drinks, have a good time. Is it like the Nashville hot chicken? Yes. Do I you... had it in oh. Nashville. But you know what? I'll try to see if Colorado's <laughs> chicken measures. Uh,
1: oh, I know where you need to go to. I'm
0: all about desserts too. So
1: Go to Avanti. It's in LoHi, And it's a really cool place because it's like this really big warehouse where they have multiple restaurants inside of it. They're all good. All different types of cuisine. Um good Sunday to there. And it's a really cool just spot. You could get, get a great view of the city from that spot too. Check okay. that out.
0: All right. I got a couple of places now to try to feed me that <laughs> Nashville hot chicken. <laughs> Number two, things to do outdoors.
1: Okay. Botanical gardens is great.
0: With a group of guys.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful time. I also think you should challenge yourself. Maybe go to Boulder. Um, there's this place called Chautauqua. Um, it's a great place to climb evergreen it's about 30 minutes away there's a place called three sisters just in case you're feeling the altitude sickness and you don't really want to do an intensive hike it's just like a cute space to be like i made it to the top and less intense
0: okay Mm -hmm. is there food there too
1: no there's a city there's a little small town in evergreen where you can get some food Right next to it. Probably like five minutes away from where the hike is.
0: I was reading there's like some restaurants in the mountains too. Oh, yeah. No,
1: you should. Yeah. Evergreen is a cool little place to check out. And they have great Cinnabons at this like place with moose in the name. Hmm. It's a very like cool town. Go to
0: Evergreen. Yeah. Have you did any climbing here? Yes. How was it?
1: Really intense. I just went to Leadville and climbed my first 13er. So that's elevation of 13,000 feet. And it was... Terrifying. It was a grade three. I don't even really know what that means, but I know it's really hard. Don't do that. I highly suggest not to do that. That means we're gonna do that. And I went ice climbing
0: too. Ice climbing?
1: Yes. In wow. your hey,
0: black people do that. I'm just yes,
1: kidding. I did
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, I'm getting in trouble here. Your favorite thing to do in the city?
1: I really like art walk. It's such a vibe. It's so cool to just walk and see art, and there's food trucks. Have a good time. This place is a great spot for people watching and just vibing with the energy.
0: Number four. I thought that was the last one. Really? How many questions did I ask? I don't know. you throw me going. off. I'm <laughs> sitting here. I have this sheet in front of me with the questions, and she's telling me this is the last one. This is my show. <laughs>
1: okay, okay. This is my show.
0: All right, number four, and if there's more than five, I'll have to edit out. So maybe I should stop saying the numbers. But anyway, uh, places to avoid, maybe like tourist traps in town.
1: Don't go downtown. There's really not much there. Just, just don't go downtown. Like, like I'm going to come to Denver, but not go downtown. In terms of the Civic Center, you don't need to go in that area.
0: Number five. What do you dislike the most about Denver? And I hate for you to like, you know, down Denver, the city. But I know there's something about the city that you don't enjoy.
1: So many people would agree with this, though. The lack of diversity. It is pretty stellar how that can be but gratefully the communities that you do find are really rich and really nice but you know oh and the driving the
0: driving is terrible let me tell you guys about their airport it's like out in the middle of nowhere
1: it is a hot mess how much did you pay to uber
0: Hey, I didn't pay the Uber or do Lyft. So I tried to get an Uber and Lyft and they wanted like forty to fifty bucks from the airport. Which I'm not cheap, you guys, but like at the same time, I don't want to spend my money in an Uber. I wanna spend my money in a restaurant or, or enjoying it. So I hopped on the train for ten sixty five, you feel me? And then rode a bicycle. Uh, one of those Uber bikes with like my luggage and backpack. She'll tell you, right? I'll drop you off <laughs> wherever you're going after this. That's crazy. But anyway, I love Denver so far. And I'm so happy that, you know, we were able to hook up 72 hours notice, make this happen. I believe your story is going to impact so many people's lives. I believe your podcast is going to be phenomenal. Just, just a sneak peek was awesome. So if you don't bomb the rest of the episodes, I think it'll be good. Thanks, Jimmy appreciate you know, that my vote of confidence Appreciate it. so how can people stay in touch with you how can they follow you how can they learn more information about the show so
1: if they want to learn more information about the show they can go to beautyinthegrit.com that is the website that will be most up to date and then if they just want to follow me and see what i'm up to they can look for me on instagram at the air
0: project ariel it was great to have you on the podcast
1: It was great to be staying the course with you, Jimmy. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm Jimmy Johnson, and you've been listening to the Staying the Course podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple, Google, and Spotify and subscribe, rate, and review the show today. And remember, you're called to stay the course.